Welcome back to the In The Woods Podcast, a show dedicated to your strange and eerie encounters in the outdoors. Today's episode features my friend Vinny and his story while he was active in the army, and something so frightening that not just him, but his entire barracks had witnessed. This is In The Woods, a show all about the mysterious and terrifying things that happen beyond the tree line. I'm Eric, the new host of the In The Woods Podcast, at the request of Darkness Prevails. As always, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. For a link to our Discord where you can be interviewed for a future episode, or to discover more horror podcasts, please go to eeriecast.com. Hey guys, today we are joined here by my good friend Vinny. Vinny is going to be joining us for the episode, and he's got a pretty crazy story. I've kind of heard a little bit about it um, on the back end here, but I'm going to let him kind of introduce himself. Uh, so Vinny, you want to give us a little bit about yourself, your background and, um, you know, where the story takes place, what year, things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my name is Vinny. Uh, thank you for having me on Eric. I, I really appreciate you taking my story. Uh, this happened in 2022 and this takes place at Fort Benning in Georgia. It's no longer called Fort Benning anymore, but that's what it was at the time. And my background, uh, I was in the army and this is where this takes place. And I think that's the most relevant information I can give on that part. <laughs> that's all good. Yeah. So we could definitely respect, you know, no need to dox yourself or give any, anything that's super personal, but yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so there's around last year, you know, so I'm trying to remember, I mean, what COVID kind of ended the year prior. So this is probably just like after that kind of like everyone's, somewhat not crazy no more still a little everyone's still kind of coming back to normality of life yeah still having to wear masks every here and there kind of crappy but uh they still had some strict uh ways of dealing with covid yeah so what was that like though was it super you know super crazy or not not too bad um it was crazy at times because uh obviously when we're going out uh there was more than a couple people there. We had to wear masks, right? But some of the higher NCOs, like uh, first sergeants and uh, uh, what's it called? The E9s, they were very ippity about it. I don't, I don't really remember my rank system as well as I used to, as I kind of blocked out some, some of that. <laughs> That's all good. Um, yeah, some of them were really, really, uh, really asshole about it. They would threaten <laughs> you with... Uh, if they saw you with your mask off or like breathing, like, you know, we, sometimes you got to shake the mask a little bit and uh, just to get some fresh air in there. And like, oh, no, no, no. If I see you do that again, we're sending you to um, quarantine. Like, what? Quarantine? Wow. So like super strict. Yeah. That's... So what What? What more or less like uh, time of the year was it? Do you remember that whenever your your incident takes place? If I pull out my wallet and I grab my discharge papers, I can actually tell you direct dates if you wish. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So this is around that time you you got out, you'd say? Oh, no, no, no. It all began when I got in. Oh, okay. This all takes place at Fort Benning. Um, yeah, it was the... I officially enlisted in 2022, the third month of the seventh day. And one big issue with me, uh, I didn't want the COVID vaccination. Uh, 
I was scared of it. I really didn't want to go through with it because there were controversies and I didn't really know what was going to happen. Yeah, and after having some it. family have a very, a very adverse reaction to it, I was like, man, what if I screw my life? What if, what, what if I, I have a, a rare reaction or a bad reaction or anything like that? And for me to get into the army, uh, they start like, oh, you have to take it. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to go. I'm not doing it then. And then my recruiter's like, oh, no, no, no. They're just saying that. Once you're there, you don't have to take it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, just sign the paper that says you are going to take it. And then don't. And you'll be fine. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks. So I take it. And that's when it all went downhill. Um, I got there. And it was only about, I was there for about 14 hours officially during in-processing. And that's when they told me uh, that if I don't take it, uh, I was going to be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> My recruiter basically just lied to me to try to get me in, I guess. Classic recruiter move. Yeah, uh, it was it, it was pretty crappy. Because then here I am being told that if I don't, I could be sent to Fort Leavenworth, which is like military prison. And get a dishonorable discharge, which means I wouldn't own guns anymore. Uh, I would have multiple felonies. It would, it would be all bad. It was super depressing. It was terrible. Ah. And there were some other guys that were in the same boat as me that didn't want the vaccine. So in the first hours I was there, uh, we stayed up all night, obviously, because it was all processing. Then throughout the next day, uh, we were all in this hall. Uh, it was basically a lot like a classroom, a large one. And one of the sergeants pulled me aside and told me, hey, leave leave your bag there. They gave us a little bag uh, to put all of our stuff in. It was called a laundry bag. <laughs> and like, yeah, just leave that there. We got to go get your blood work done now. I'm like, blood work? Okay. So I leave my stuff there. They pull me out. And I'm droggy at this point. You know, I stayed up... Uh, um, a night and then a day and a night beforehand. <laughs> so I was like really out of it. And they go, they draw my blood and uh, what's it called? They get all that done. And they're like, all right, you're going to be escorted by two people to your new bay. I'm like, okay, a new bay. So these two guys, they pull me over and they're like, yeah, we're bringing you to this place. It was Alpha Company. And right next to it, there was Bravo Company. But I remember they brought me up to the second floor and up there, I, I believe the bay was two zero three even. Yeah. Bay two Oh three. Cause we had to remember that. Cause we were asked quite often what bay we were. And that's where I met some of my good friends, some very good friends and some very weird people. And that's when stuff got really weird. Okay. Yeah. So I guess kind of give us a, uh... When you say weird, I mean, what What do you mean by that? So I was meeting a lot of people there, very different backgrounds, different ways of life, obviously. Um, I met this guy. His name was Dearman, and he was a cool guy. Um, he, he was definitely an asshole, but we got along. Um, and there was this guy called Fog, F-O-G, yeah, and uh, he was a pagan, and I am a Christian, and we had a lot of debates. He, he, he says he used to be Christian. So we clashed a lot. 
and he talked about he reads from the devil's bible and he talked about a lot of dark 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 stuff he would read excerpts from what he remembered of his scripture off the top of his mind and some of the things that came out of his mouth were just so vile and like gut-wrenching it was like terrible and after the second or third day I was there, it was pretty casual, trying to get the ropes, trying to learn parade rest, uh, attention, learning to always have my camelback full. Yeah, everyone had to wear a thing called a camelback, and it's basically just a backpack full of water. <laughs> so you can have like your wallet in, have a little space. And it was just uh, a learning process, nothing too weird in the first couple days. But, uh, by the third day, fourth day, when I had to start showing all my documents and they're asking where some of my stuff was, um, I did not have my wallet on me at this time that I was missing that. It was in my laundry bag. And that got lost at the hall when they did all my blood work and stuff. And I completely forgot about it until they escorted me to, to the room and I passed out and all this. And, uh, by the second or third day, I'm asking around, like, I, I, I need my bag, my wallet's in there, my social security card, everything, because they expect everyone to have their wallet in their camelback, and I did not. So at times, it was really bad when that, they, they would ask, like, oh, you know your social security number? And I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. <laughs> and I didn't just have my wallet to just to grab. Mm -hmm. So that caused a lot of issues for me. But I kept asking sergeants. I kept annoying them because it was a really big issue. And I, I got chewed out for annoying them, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, one of the guys in the opposite hall of me, um, he was in the opposite bay, I asked him, uh, does anyone here know about a bag that got left? Because you guys continued on with uh, learning whatever you're learning, get, uh, going to take your first doses of vaccines and all that. And... They were like, oh, yeah, actually, we do know where that is. This guy right here, he was uh, tasked to do something with this. I'm like, oh, okay, you know where my bag is? And he says, yeah, Sergeant Blank Blank told me to bring it up to the third floor of the same company. So it's just a floor up. So I go and I tell the drill sergeant, because um, every day or two, they would uh, switch out at this desk. And it would be a, uh, sometimes a sergeant, sometimes a drill sergeant. and I told him what this guy said, and he calls the other sergeant because I mentioned him by name. Like, oh, Sergeant Blank and Blank told this guy he to put my bag up there. And that sergeant comes down. He's like, I never told him to do that. I never did that. And I'm like, Sergeant, I'm just repeating what he said. I, I don't know if it's true or not. I just I'm just repeating him. And uh, very, very scruffily, he's like, whatever. And that's basically where that ended. So I got permission to go up to the third floor. And the sergeant was like, all right, go grab yourself a battle buddy to go up there with you and go search around. I'm like, okay, yes, sergeant. And the weird thing was, Alpha Company, when you're on the, the ground floor, you can just walk up to the second floor, right? It's just stairs. Mm -hmm. The third floor was a different story. It had a, a door and it had a sign on it saying, no trainees beyond this point unless escorted by cadre. I remember that very vividly. What is so, that? What does that mean, cadre? 
Um, basically, anyone that, that's a sergeant or like has permission to be up there that's not still going through basic training mm-hmm. or how, processing how big or whatever. Is this building is it like a rather large building or? Oh, it's big. It's big. Like one bay has like, let's say, like the size of like your average like high school or, or um, like the size of like uh, I'm trying to think. For I'd say the size of a high school, but it was tall. It was oh. multiple stories. It wasn't that like long, like uh, when you walk yeah, in the first floor. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was tall. Yeah. So I just say to equate around there. Yeah. And there was like three bays on each floor and uh, some extra stuff, obviously, on certain floors. Like there was an ice machine on the first floor, but on the third floor, there was um, uh, closet rooms where they'd have all like the linen blankets and stuff. But uh i never thought anything of that sign really like oh okay they don't want people going to the third floor just buy something up there whatever um i went up there to the third floor with my buddy his name was pei he was a guy that came from i think he was from korea and we went up there and we start looking around we go to the first bay on the right and in i didn't really understand but on the third floor there was no people up there it was a locked off area. There was no people up there, completely silent. It was just empty halls. It goes from a fully lively military installation on the second and first floor to complete and utter silence. And like the ground was so thick that you couldn't hear anyone below you. So it was just like a sudden turn. And as we we start walking forward down this hall, on our right, I believe it was there was the first bay and the light was dim. The, the actual light uh, for the whole bay, it was dim. Like it hadn't been touched. No, no one's been in here for a while. Uh, this light's dying, which is very weird for a military installation, especially at basic training where I have people come in and out, in and out, in and out. And we're looking around and this place is dirty. Now that's an offset for a, a military place. It was dirty. Uh, a bunch of the bunk beds were like kind of tilted and it was just weird. Uh, we go to the back and we start go, going to look in the bathrooms for my bag, right? Because these bathrooms are big. It's like 12 bathroom stalls and then on the opposite side there's like 14 shower stalls and there's two different long wooden benches where you could like sit down and stuff or put your stuff down or whatever. Um, so we're looking around the whole place. And some of the stalls were open, and I remember the water in the toilets, all of them were receded. Like, all, all of them were empty. Like, they had, the water had evaporated. Or oh, yeah, like it had been something. sitting forever. Yeah. yeah. This was really weird. So, there's nothing in there, right? So, we walk out. We walk forward. We go to the next one, I believe. I think it was on the the left? The side of the hall now, that's where the second bay was. And we're looking around. And this one is worse. This bay is absolutely worse. The light is flickering. And it's very dim. The actual beds were very tilted. We had to, like, maneuver our way around. And there were pieces of, like, just garbage paper from previous soldiers from I don't know how long ago at least some months. I remember opening one up and it was like a handwritten note to something, but I'd never like really paid attention to it. I don't remember what it said. Um, I just put it back down after I was done. 
we when we're looking around, we go to the bathroom and it was scary in the bathroom. Um, the light was really dim, um, flickering, and uh, we're we're looking around this em- empty bathroom. It was like a scary feeling, you know. Like your and, your your average like horror scene. You're like, oh man, this this looks like something straight out of like the nun. Yeah, exactly. But you know, me and that guy, we're not trying to be scared. We're we're, we're standing there with these army t shirts on, like, <laughs> like yeah, no, this ain't scary. It's it's weird though. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in that bathroom. And at this point, I'm getting really discouraged because I know if I don't find my information, I'm not gonna be able to like get home basically because uh, you need your ID or something to get onto a plane. So after all this is done or whatever, I know I'm not going to have a way out. I'm, I'm going to be screwed on information or whatever. And uh, oh yeah, before we got to this point, I've, there was one more detail. I found out at some point that the odds are I wasn't getting sent to Fort Leavenworth or whatever. I was just going to be discharged at some point and I would just get a flight home or whatever after I find out whatever the repercussions were. Mm-hmm. So that was my worry at the time is am, how am I going to get home if I don't find my info? And we walk out of that bay and there's one more. There's one more bay and on the opposite side of the hall, there's like a broom closet and then there's an extra door at the end of the hall. We go into the final bay and it's bad. It is an actual progression from bay to bay getting worse and worse. And that final bay. All of the beds were like extremely crooked. The light was so damn dim and flickering that you could barely see what was going on in there. It was like actually scary, like legitimately scary. And at a a certain point, we had to like actually go over like one or two of these bunk beds uh, just to get over, to get closer to the bathroom area because – we would have had to move them if we wanted to like get past them normally. And we go into the bathroom and the, one of the first things I see is on one of these wooden benches, right? Boom. There's a big green laundry bag. And I'm like, no way this, this is, this isn't it. No way. So I walk up and of course my battle buddy's there with me, the guy called pay. And as I go to touch this bag right before my hand touches it, one of the shower stalls to our left, it starts to turn on. It, you hear a as the water just starts turning on like someone's turning it. And me and my buddy, we just look to our left and our faces go right upside. It was like, holy shit. I grabbed my bag and we actually start bolting out of that bathroom. And we jumped over one of the beds and we're just running all the way out, all the way through the hall. like stomping the whole way because we didn't care how much noise we're making we like actually got spooked from that shit and we like uh got all the way down the stairs and we didn't think about it how how weird or suspicious it would be that but when we opened the door we're both like out of breath like (laughs) and the sergeant just looks at us like you find it (laughs) yes sergeant all right stand by (laughs) at your base (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it didn't make sense like why are you out of breath <laughs> what did you do yeah but luckily sure. he, he, he was curious yeah. he was like what what the hell exactly and that's when i started finding out information that final door 
at the end of the hall was the entry to the roof. That'll be relevant for later. But hey guys, make sure to stick around. We're going to take a short break for our sponsors. When I got back into the bay, everyone that had been there for like months or like a year even, me and Pei had only been there a couple days. And we start ask, asking the guys, what's up with up there? What's up with the third floor? What, uh, this shower started turning on. And the, one of the guys like, oh, you went to the Haunted Bay. And I'm like, the Haunted Bay? What do you mean? And he's like, yeah, um, there's a reason why that floor is empty. That shower, um, a kid hung himself up there by a shoelace. By a kid, I believe he meant a 17-year-old that enlisted. Yeah. And yeah, he, he hung himself by his shoelaces by the shower head and it broke the shower to where sometimes it would turn on. And yeah, he did die. God. And yeah, not good stuff. Yeah. That's, that's and, insane. Holy, and he just like says this. Yeah. That's how that, that guy, that's well. Yeah. Cause apparently other people were experiencing a lot of weird stuff. So it just became a semi normal topic. Yeah, I imagine so after a while, but yeah. What what else did everybody else say? Did anybody else have any stories, you know, from that same that same bay? Uh, yes. And they were giving more more details on that floor. Like one death isn't gonna be enough enough to shut down that floor permanently, like how they did. Like apparently the suicides there were so bad, um, people were going up to that roof through through that door I talked about earlier. And they were jumping off and they were splatting on the concrete outside and it was bad. Like we, when we would walk into the entrance, I, uh, if I remember correctly, a dude pointed like a concrete slab, like, yeah, right there. That's where some dudes splatted last year. Like, Oh my <laughs> gosh, dude, fuck. Like, and then having to walk into that company every day and it's like, just look at that concrete, even though it looks completely normal. It's just, it puts a bad vibe on you, dude. Yeah, you, you just know. You know there's history behind it now. Yeah. And one of the guys said that he overheard the sergeants talking about going to the third floor. And for no apparent reason, just one of the random sinks up there put out ice cold water all the time. It made no sense because there was nothing up there to give it ice cold water. Like everything would be warm because uh, it was warm at the time. It wasn't like winter and just one sink would always be ice cold. And they, they were just talking about how like it didn't make sense. They also talked about how they heard voices coming from the third floor and they heard it through the ground, which didn't make much sense either because how thick the ground was, you couldn't hear people unless if you were screaming and they talked about hearing casual like voices from up top. But it gets very uptickish after I learned this information because over the next couple days, um, I, I, I remember we were all asleep. We're all in our bunks and someone's trying to wake me up. Right. Um, I'm like, I think I slept through my watch. Right. And I feel a good tap on my like, uh, I, I don't remember if it was my leg or shoulder, but I, I remember it was a, it was a good couple like. Tap, 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 tap. Not like someone trying to hurt you, but someone just trying to wake you up, right? Like, get the hell up, dude, so I don't have to, like, be loud. And I, I, I remember saying, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked to my left. No one's there. 
No one's awake. Everyone's only been asleep for an hour and a half. We don't have to wake up for at least some more hours. And I'm just looking around doing 360s with my head like, even if someone was fucking with me right now, they they would have nowhere to go. It, it was a physical impossibility, the distances between the bunks. Like, I would have heard you sit on your bed. I would have heard you move on this, like, you know, mar- mar- marble floor. There was nothing. And that was one of the first instances of something that creeped me out. But I kind of dismissed. Did you try to play it off like maybe I was just dreaming it or... You know, something like, exactly. like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One of the first things that came to mind was, okay, after those stories and hearing the history, I must have freaked myself out. And since this is still a new place, I, my, my, my mind must have just made me feel a certain way while I was sleeping. Yeah. And I'm sure during the day-to-day when you're doing keeping busy, it probably helped keep your mind off of it until, you know, nighttime or when you're alone to your thoughts. And you, you know, you can kind of think about it more and you're like, Oh God, you know, that's what happens to me sometimes when I hear about history and stuff. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, and I mean, and it's pretty, you know, common knowledge that people say that spirits or, you know, something, whatever's out there feeds off of that energy of, you know, sometimes fear or just you enticing it in your, your brain, you make it real and it, you know, so that's at least what I believe. Right, right, right. And, uh, me being a Christian, I do believe that as well. I do believe the more you fear those things, the more you think on those things, uh, the higher probability you have of encountering those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. same. Yeah. And the next day, uh, man, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying not to get my events mixed up because there's a certain progression that I'm trying to really remember, mm-hmm. but some of the uh, some some of the details are really getting kerfuffled. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, we can always, you know, if you if you tell a part of the story and then you recall, you're like, oh, actually, this happened before. That's okay. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, right now I'm just like picturing everything in my head. I have this building in my mind now, and I'm like drawing a, a mental map. I'm just like, whoa, that's crazy. And I'm thinking of like the bunk bed still. That's kind of like ingrained in my head how I'm, I'm, I'm picturing it like as an S where you can see the light of the bunk beds and then it starts to like almost get enveloped in darkness as it goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. And then there's this bathroom in the back with your bag there and uh, or this like almost locker room. So I'm still picturing that. It's got me all creeped out now. So... <laughs> But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, just, you know, whatever, whatever you can really remember. I, I, I remember. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. go ahead. Over the next, like, day or two, I remember I was trying to sleep at one point, and I got those touches again, and it was worse. My feet, which were from under my blanket, they, they were the only exposed part because the, like, linens they gave us, they didn't cover my feet. And my head at the same time. It was one or the other type thing. And that night, I remember both my feet and my head were out of the blankets. And I got those touches on my feet. And I got those touches on uh, the top of my head. Like, thump, 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 like tapping. And that's when I legitimately started to like think, okay, some real shit's going on. But then I start rem- remembering 
scripture. And I remember um, it's saying that nothing could hurt me. I couldn't be hurt by anything as long as I have Christ, right? And I'm like, okay, well, that helps me because I'm not waking up with scratches or gashes. I'm being tapped like something's trying to get my attention or make me feel a certain way, but I'm not hurt or in any way. And that kind of made me feel more secure in the, 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 the notion that something was there. But I one more time played it off like, what if it's bed bugs? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it might legitimately be bed bugs. People are coming in here, going out. We don't have, what's it called? The most sanitary conditions in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's bugs, but this is the final time I'm going to assume that. And I remember speaking to my parents on the phone because uh, we got our phones uh, on every Sunday, I think it was. Uh, for 10 minutes because everyone that was being out processed were only allowed to have our phones for 10 minutes. Everyone else got it for like half an hour to an hour. So it was a punishment for us that we only got our phones for 10 minutes a week. And I told them about it. And my dad, who was in the military as well, when he was younger, he was like, bed bugs in there? That doesn't sound right. And I didn't tell them the most details on like the paranormal stuff at first, at least. And I was like, yeah, it's weird. And I went on about my day. We're continuing doing our tasks, doing staff duty, doing this, doing that. But I did feel uncomfortable enough where I did get deeper in my faith. And at some point, me and one of the guys, his name was Patino. And we went and got Bibles and these nice little rosaries um, and these this cross that we put on our dog tags. and. I started reading the Bible to the bay every night. Anyone that would listen, they would gather around at nighttime uh, before lights out and a little, little bit beyond lights out. And we would just sit there and I would read one to two chapters. And it helped people a lot. They felt a lot more comfortable. And some people really got deeper in their faith as well. And one or two guys even came to the faith. Because everyone there was legitimately scared we all had our questions we all had our doubts and it kind of like helped everyone have that want to learn more about my god because it helped me through it and they weren't exactly still in their understanding if you will uh now over the next like day or so or two days um, we have a, a shiv check because someone in one of the other bays, like they found a shiv in one of the lockers. So then everyone has to do a shiv check. What that means is opening every locker. Um, and then some guys came in and just like looked in each one. Um, well, actually, we had to look in them. And then after we said, all right, it's clean. One or two guys came through and just did like a quick look through um, just to make sure there were no shivs in here. And we shut the lockers because these lockers, they're about like seven feet tall. And they're like sheet metal, pretty heavy, but they, the majority of them had like rust on them and they were like really rigid. So if you wanted to open one of these lockers, it was really squeaky and made shit tons of noise. If you were opening one at nighttime, four guys are going to wake up, turn around and say, shut the fuck up. Stop fucking with the locker, dude. Because it's loud as hell. 
So that's a detail for later. But uh, after we do the ship check, uh, we, we shut the lockers. We continue on with the day. And at nighttime, I start doing my Bible reading. And after we're nearing the end of that, uh, Fog, the pagan guy, almost every time I did a sermon, he came by and tried to disprove my my reading. And we would always debate on things, which was fine. He can come and debate and all that. That wasn't the huge issue. Um, sometimes he was a big asshole, though. And that night in particular, after like going through this barrage of insults and like your God is fake. He was like, uh, you know, uh, he, he called me by name, but I'm not trying to use my last name. Um, mm-hmm. He said, A, blank, because we all called each other by our last name. And he's like, hey, blank, I want you to continue in your ministry. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, really, really? He's like, yeah, you seem to be pretty good at it. And I want to pray for you. And I look at him, I'm like, pray to who? And he's like, to Jesus. He's like, I haven't done this in a long time, but I want to pray with you. And I'm like, absolutely. Wait until I'm done with this sermon uh, and reading this this chapter. And yeah, I'll, I would definitely love to pray with you, man. He's like, yeah, it sounds great. And we, and we end it off. And me and Fog, we go to the corner of this bay, right? Where the these walls of the lockers are. Um, there's only like 14 of us in there, so like one side is heavily populated and one side is not populated as all at all, because no one felt comfortable just being alone off in the corner uh, where a single bunk was, because again there were experiences out there, and no one felt comfortable like that. And fog, um, we go to the furthest corner while everyone's going to bed, everyone's laying down except me and him. And we are out of like ear distance, so you can't hear what we're saying as long as we're like just talking nor- normally. And we start praying. We we shut our eyes and we start praying. And this is a guy that worships Satan. He this is a big thing for him to pray to Jesus and like pray for me. Um, after we end our prayer, we open our eyes and we look just like two and a half feet away from us where the lockers are and the whole wall of about 24 lockers, all of the doors are open. Every single one without a single squeak. Everyone's laying down. No one saw anything. Everyone's asleep on the opposite side of the bay. And this whole wall of these super loud lockers are just open and there was no noise. And we just look at them in dumbfoundedness. It didn't, it wasn't comp- it wasn't computing we couldn't comprehend what we what we just saw there was no noise we knew that all the lockers were shut and the weirder part was the doors weren't just open each door was pointing towards us each door as it got further and further away it was like degree changed to point at us not just fully open every door was pointing at us and it, I, I started shaking. I was like, holy fucking shit. That is mortifying. And we just look at each other. We're just trying to think on this. And he starts to shut the lockers. He shuts like eight of them, nine of them. And 
we go to take a piss because um, it's a giant bathroom. We go in there at the same time. No, like after that, no one's going to the bathroom alone. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, yeah, you I'll know, go with you. Let's, let's just go. Yeah. So we go, we take a fucking piss. We're, we're only in there for about 40 seconds and everyone else is still asleep. No one knows what just happened. No one's like looking in that direction to even see the lockers that are now open. And after we walk out, those lockers that he had shut were open again. And there was no squeak. We didn't hear anything from that bathroom. Uh, we would have because the bathrooms don't have doors like to go into the bathroom area. It's just like a walk in. Yeah. And, and then you see your stalls. So not hearing anything and not hearing anyone complain out there about someone just yanking open eight lockers as fast as they can in, in, in succession. It. It, it fucked with us. Like at this time, I was the the bay leader, right? Because one of the last guys that was the bay leader, um, they kind of like you know told them what what to do and stuff. Like, oh, you have this job today. You have to go do this, that, or what, whatever. Just like a small lead leadership role in the bay. He had got sent home because this whole bay is people going home. So I kind of just got that passed down to me. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty shit at it for a while, but at this point, um, I was pretty okay. And I told everyone that was laying down and asleep, I said, everyone get the fuck up. And they're like, what do you want? And obviously they would have said, what do you want? And like my last name, but again, I'm trying to keep that private. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, look, and I point to that wall and all everyone just looks at that wall and like three different guys, four different guys, they're like, were those open? Who opened those? Why are those open? And that's how I knew, okay, I'm not being fucked with. I'm not being fucked with. Because <laughs> everyone else had a very similar like feeling for like the, the, the paranormal stuff that was going on. So no one was a big enough asshole there to, to do that. And we had discussed, okay, well, like, what do we do now? What is the next course of action because we're not allowed to leave our bay anymore um, unless it's an emergency. Right. And we call over night watch night, night watch are these two guys that are going through each bay, just making sure the count of how many people that are in there remains the same. So no one like went a wall or is missing or something and to make sure everyone stays in. And we call him over and we start telling him what happened and he says, you know, we just went through three different bays, and this one that you're in is freezing. You're, you're, you're just the only bay out of every single one that has a large, noticeable change in temperature. And I was like, okay, so does this count as an emergency? He's like, yeah, this is an emergency. Go talk to the drill sergeant, because that's who it was at the, the desk that, at that time. And this is where it gets kind of funny, because everyone that was laying down some people were in shorts, some people were in uh, winter-esque PTs, and some people had their flip-flops near, some pe- people just had socks on. So we go out as a giant group in mixed uniforms, which is a big no-no. You don't go out in mixed uniforms. And uh, we go to the drill sergeant, he's on his phone, and he just looks at us. I, I-, I remember his name was uh, Drill Sergeant Johnson, and he-, he was a Christian as well. 
very nice guy, very understanding guy. He was a very good drill sergeant. Uh, he was very good at giving instruction and order without uh, the most intimidation. He really like helped you. Hey friends, we're going to take another quick break for our sponsors. Understand more than just with fear. Mm-hmm. So when we came out and said that uh, all this stuff, um, I stood before everyone. I was like, drill sergeant, no one here feels comfortable in that bay. We were having like ghost stuff happen in there and no one feels okay. And I, I remember he says, trainee, I can fight a man, but I cannot fight a ghost. Go back to your bays. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a deep Southern accent. And everyone is now super discouraged. Everyone's like not comfortable, happy or anything. Cause we just got told to go back to that bay that we were just running out of and, and we're told to go to bed, you know? Yeah. So we all lay down and I'm shaking in my bed. I'm like, my eyes are doing three sixties every couple seconds. I'm, I'm waiting for the moment that I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to see a figure standing next to me. And it never happens. That, 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 that never happens. And the night ends with no more occurrence. We go on about the next day, just doing, doing, doing our, our normal stuff. Uh, if I remember correctly, we had, we had to do this thing called ice sheets where have to fill up these coolers with ice and sheets and water so that if anyone ever had heat stroke we'd throw these sheets on them because one of one of the sergeants said it's much faster and more efficient if someone has heat stroke to throw that on them to cool their core temperature down than just using water so that became a normal schedule thing we'd have to go out and do that like every day and over the next day or two, everything was generally normal. It was normal. But there was a large uptick after a certain point. One of the guys, it, it, it's a very weird pattern, but one of the guys there, his, he, he was a youth pastor. And me and him talked a lot about stuff. But after he left, um, right before the locker and with everything opening that's when an uptick happened it was weird because me and him were like the only like i i feel fully devout believers in christ that time that that felt like you know we had protection and all that and after he left and i was the only one i was very discouraged i was very alone feeling if you will and that's when the big uptick happened and over the next couple days, it was okay. But then one night I went to bed and I had a absolutely terrible feeling. Like a feeling that someone was right next to my bunk, just standing there watching me. And I remember the moment I opened my eyes and nothing was there. The feeling was gone. And I would shut my eyes, try to go back to bed. and. Everything would feel normal for a few minutes, but then I would feel that something is just gazing at me with like bad intent, like someone's staring at me right now. 
it was a very bad feeling. I hated it. And at some point in the night, I got those touches again. And this time it was really bad. The amount of like taps was from my feet to my head to my arms. Anything that was not under my blankets was getting touched. It was like really weird. And uh, it was past that point. Then that's when I tried to keep my legs under my bed or sorry, my blanket. Um, I tried to leave as little skin as possible from under my blanket as it seemed like anything that wasn't covered was getting touched. Are there any questions or details I can uh, clarify before I move on to the next part? No, I'm just like, I don't know. This is, this is crazy. This is insane. I mean, I didn't, you know, when you came in, when you first told me kind of like before, before, you know, we got into this, I didn't, I really know what to expect, but this is like, wow. This is like out of all the stories I've heard over the years too, from just people in general that have had an experience, this is like the, the most frightening and most like, extreme you know this sounds like some straight up like poltergeist you know it's insane yeah because i think with the amount of suicide that happened there um there was also a lot of or not i'm not gonna say a lot but there was a good amount of rape that happened there uh between male soldiers and i on, on the everyday basis there were people that would walk around like you know fellow soldiers and they didn't have shoelaces they had rubber bands for shoelaces because they had a suicide attempt by trying to hang themselves. And they were always being escorted by like uh, two cadres 24-7. They were on something called that I later found out is called Suicide Watch, where they're just not allowed to be left alone 24-7. And it's at one of these points when I'm doing staff duty at nighttime that I find out in every single bathroom in every single one anywhere there's a stall there there's like a triangular thing on top of every stall and i asked what it was to one of the guys that had been there for a while and he's like oh that's the blade i'm like the blade he's like yeah it's a special kind of blade that only cuts rope it'll never cut you it'll only cut through rope that's how prominent it was for people to hang themselves by their shoelaces. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was not good. But over the next night or two, um, I, I, I remember this was a very common thing, but the drill sergeants or sergeants, whoever is meant to be there at the time, they'll just walk around in our bay while we're sleeping. They'll look around, look for what, what, whatever they're doing. I don't know exactly what they're doing. Probably just checking to make sure no contraband is out or nothing inappropriate is going on or no one's awake or whatever. It was, so it was a very common thing to hear the sound of boots walking around on this like marble floor or whatever. And one night I heard the doom, 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 walking around. And I'm like, okay, drill sergeant is in here. And I, um, I think his name was Drill Sergeant Higgins. And he was an asshole. Definitely. He was definitely an asshole. Um, so I didn't want him to know that I got woken up by that. But I was still curious. So I tried to like sneak a peek to see what he was doing. 
So I looked to my left, because um, it's not like it was at the lockers, like on the opposite side of the bay. And there's no one there. And at this point, I hear doom, 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 as it starts to walk from the lockers all the way down the hall through the bay. And it's just doom, doom, doom. Like you're staring at where these footsteps are coming from, but there's nothing there. There's nothing there. You know it's not a different floor because these thick fucking floors, you're not hearing footsteps. And it's so differentiable that you would know if it was a muffled tap from a different floor or something compared to the sound of very distinguished boots four or seven feet away from you. This is probably like 25 feet, this bay, right? I'm not very good with measurement, but it was it was a good length, and I don't want to get the measurements too wrong. But it was about 12 seconds of consecutive doom, 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 doom from the opposite side of the the bay, all the way up to my bunk. It walked all the way up to my bed, and I remember it took a right doo, doo, and stopped right there at where you would be to like get into my bunk. And I'm having the feeling right now this is a different floor (laughs) this has to be a different floor but when it walked up to my bunk my feeling changed because it never walked away the footsteps stopped when it got to the side of my bed it never went through my bed like if if it was someone on the opposite floor where it would have just continued walking past or something it stopped right there at the perfect point of the next of the side of my bed and it never walked away it never went through. It was just gone. No no more footsteps. Nothing. And this is when I decided to do some scientific stuff on my own. I, like Obviously, I was absolutely fucking petrified. But I was kind of used to the occurrences. And I had enough faith to, to like feel like I'm going to be okay. This is all scare tactics. And... The next day, I I go up to one of the guys. Yeah, so it was Patino. I go I go up to Patino. I'm like, hey, did you hear anything last night? He said, yeah, man. Uh, I heard footsteps uh, doing circles around my bunk. I'm like, doing circles around your bunk? And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm starting to shake because I'm like, okay, this is real. Again, this is not my mind. And I don't leave anything else to him. He's confused as well, but I don't think he has the same feeling of it being a paranormal experience. I go up to one of the other guys and I'm like, hey, uh, did you hear, hear, hear anything last night? I forget who it was I talked to, but he's like, yeah, man, I fucking heard footsteps walking around the bay last night, but I didn't see the drill sergeant. And I told him my story. I told him Patino's story and I got all this together and we're all trying to figure this out. And we're like, so everyone heard it, right? There was like a wake at that moment. Like, yeah. Everyone saw that there was nothing there, right? Yeah. And we can all agree this wasn't on a different floor, right? Yeah. And we were absolutely like a different kind of depression. The the weight that was put on us just uh, to have the existence of knowing that you're going to go out do your 12-hour staff duty or whatever you're doing that day only to come back to that bay and not know what's going to happen. 
You don't know what the next activity is going to be. You don't know really what's going to happen. It put a terrible feeling on us all. It really sucked. But it's not over. It's not, it's not over yet. It's not. But it's approaching the end of my service time. There was a lot of in-between stuff like uh, going through document stuff with the, the commander and going to do my out processing because um, the disobeying uh, the order to take the vaccine, they got me on a chapter 14-12 Charlie, which means commission of a serious offense, which is disobeying a direct order from a superior officer. So I had to go through a long process as I was being put in like the same boat as someone that got like caught doing drugs while in the military. Wow. Um, yeah, it was bad. Um, so it took a while for me to got to, to, to get discharged. This wasn't just a couple days. This was like almost two months. And <laughs> as the end of this nears, I remember uh, fog. He got sent home. It's, his time is done. But before that, um, he had to take a phone call when it was all our phone time. And he found out that his, his sister passed away. I don't, I don't know if it was a car crash exactly or something. But it really put a, a bad feeling on him. And he started being a little bit weirder. But uh, he did read and tell me some of his excerpts about his belief. Um, I could tell you what they are to give a little more context on who he was. If, if you will. Yeah, go ahead. So I told you he was a Satan worshiper. And mm-hmm. my Bible, it is the story of Jesus Christ through the perspective of Christ and the perspective of the apostles, right? That it, it's the, those stories through a few different perspectives. His book, he could be lying about any of this as well. But he said his book is the perspective of all those same events, but some more. And it's through the perspective of Satan and what he was doing at that that time. So, of course, it put a certain level of intrigueness that I really wish I didn't have, as I wish I would have walked away when he started telling these excerpts or stories of what his variants were of my known, like, Gospel of John or Luke or Matthew. And he's like, oh, you know the crucifixion of Christ? And I'm like, yeah. It wasn't a Roman soldier who did it. I'm like, okay. Uh, he starts telling everyone, no, 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 no. It was Satan himself. It says in my book that uh, the euphoria and pleasure that Satan felt with every strike of the na- of the hammer upon the nail of the Christ, the the blood curdling scream and uh, uh, pleasure that he felt was like nothing that he could have ever felt in his entire existence, like really demented stuff. And there was other stuff that he talked about as well from his book, but he said he was a Christian until he found that that this devil's Bible, he found it. He says he found a burned down church and that's where it was in the rubble was that book. And it was made from pigskin. How like uh, the stereotypical Bibles made from like leather or paper. Mm -hmm. His was made from pigskin. And in this like burnt rubble, he found that and it was completely unhinged by the fire, apparently. And it was just perfect. And that's when he started reading it. And that's when he changed. But back to the future now. Uh, <laughs> after finding out that his sister passed away, he got weirder. And over the next like day or two, maybe three days, 
uh, I remember I pulled out my headlight for the first time to do some personal Bible reading. As at this point, it, anyone there that would, that would listen to my book reading, I was reading the book of Revelation every day to a different person. Um, it was really interesting. Someone would be laying down in their bunk and they would just be like, Reverend, because that's what they called me at, after a certain point. They're like, Reverend. Oh, it's Reverend. Uh, they would say, can you just read from the, the Bible while I'm trying to sleep? I'm like, absolutely, I can. And it turned to a point where almost every night I'm reading the book of Revelation or uh, the Gospel of John every night at this point to someone. And I pulled out my headlight for the first time because we all got one from the PX where we were required to. Mm-hmm. And after I used it for the first time, the very next morning, uh, I find out that Fog went to RHU, which is Return Home Unit. And my, my headlight's gone. The fucker stole from me. He stole my brand new headlight, the asshole. Because <laughs> we all like were very trusting, if you will. So we all had our stuff just like uh, not as secure, if you will. And the sergeants didn't really fucking care if we had like lights on our beds or whatever. E- even if our beds weren't perfectly ma- made, even that I should tell you how like loose it was in that bay. They didn't really care because we were being discharged as long as we just got our responsibilities done. And over the next week, um, we see them a couple times while we're like going to Chow Hall. When uh, our, when the RHU unit would, or when, when RHU would come up and go to get their chow, we, we would just sometimes see fog. I'm like, fog, where's my light? I don't know, man. A light? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but you know, uh, yeah, I knew. And fog went home. That's the end of fog. But he shared his number with my buddy Deerman. And at one point over the next like week, we get our phones. And Deerman gives a call to Fog, and he gets a message back saying this is Fog's mother. Fog passed away. He got into a car accident while high on meth, and he rolled his car over and died. Everyone was like, Fog's dead in the first fucking week of him being out? Really? Like, everyone was confused. It was like, he's dead? What? Yeah, it sucked. And I remember a lot of people were being sent home now. Only me and Deerman and like one or two other guys were left at this point because we had the most process to go through while everyone else was being sent off with the ELSs, which is entry-level separation, so it's a lot faster. And ours, we were either going to, uh, from what we were hearing it was rumor. It wasn't guaranteed, but we, we were either going to get a uh, less than honorable discharge or a general discharge under honorable conditions. So we were hoping for the latter, you know, to get an honorable in there. It would be nice, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we, didn't, we didn't qualify for an ELS anymore, even though we didn't make it through basic training because we were you know being held for our stuff. We were no longer able to get an entry level separation because we had done that rhyme. By military standard, to disobeying a direct order. So it's like, no, 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 you're not at the entry level anymore. You're either going to get less than honorable or under under honorable conditions. So we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. And one of the final days we're there, 
Um, this point at the last 48 hours, maybe new guys are showing up. I mean, the, the new guys that are being out processed, uh, we're telling them the, the ladder and what me and Deerman have learned over the, the last like month and a half. And to give, to give you an example at the start of, of the bay where, where the entry door is, there are two doors, one, and then approximately about 10 feet of like wall where there are lockers and then another door. That second door, it was very common where we had a singular bed, not a full bunk bed, but like a half singular bed. It would be near that door to help block out the light. The sergeants allowed it because it was like a really weird perspective, like the way the light came in would like blare in at light uh, nighttime. So it would be there to help knock it out. And one of the first night or second night, the new guys were there. We all looked to our... uh, left in the morning while we're getting ready we're 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 putting our pt clothes on getting ready and me and two other guys i'm like hey look over there that far off bed that's like 10 feet away there's a there's a person sitting on he's facing away from us but it's like a shadow it's a living full like 3d shadow not like the stereotypical flat shadow that you see on the ground it was like a fully circular human being but pitch black with like no life, if you will. It, it, it was like a living shadow. And it had one leg over the other. You could see the way it had its leg over its other, even though its back was towards us, right? You could see it have like a boot or a shoe or something, and it was tying its its uh, shoe. And me and Twitter guys, we're just staring at this because this isn't a flicker of the eye. This is about a three or four full seconds of just watching this ghost tie its shoe. And as it puts its leg down, it leans forward. It, like it leans its upper body forward and it fades out of existence. It merges into the ground and it's gone. And these new guys that hadn't, hadn't seen any of this, their jaws are open. Like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you'll get used to it. Like, it's just fucking with us. It's not going to hurt any of us. And I'm, I explain, I have Christ. I'm fine. I hope you guys have God. And I'm like, it's not going to hurt us. It's just really trying to scare the fuck out of you and devour anyone that doesn't have protection. <laughs> and they're f- kind of freaked out because me and Dearman were leaving the next like day or two. And everyone else had only been there for a short period now. So no one knew what they were about to go into. They were being left without a paddle to what they were about to start experiencing. And that was kind of their show of like what was going on. And I, I remember I made a point and one of the lockers, but before we, we went out that same day, I said, look, that corner right there, all the shut lockers, you know, when we leave, None of us are coming back here for the whole day until we come to lay down. The sergeants don't fuck with anything in here. They don't open the lockers and leave them open or anything. I guarantee when we come back, a locker is going to be open or something. And he's like, okay. Because um, I was saying it to a particular guy that was new. And we go. We leave for the day. We, we come back. And what do you know? It's nighttime. And there's just one locker, a singular one that's open. And I'm like, look. And I asked the whole bay, had anyone come back here? No, I had to do this. I did that. Like, no, because we all have like 14 hour shifts of doing 
like staff duty or CQ or whatever, watching people on suicide watch, you don't just get to come back to your bay whenever you want. So we knew no one had been up there. No one was doing anything there. And like, yeah, there's a random locker just wide open. Just little things to fucking put you like in discomfort. Like something's just there to keep doing little things to fuck with you, to let you know I'm here. I'm not going to I'm not hurting you, but I'm going to scare the fuck out of you as much as I can just to make you get deep in your own thoughts. And after that point, me and Dearman, we got sent uh, to RHU, which was a turn home unit. And it was an entirely different building. It was like a half mile walk away, three fourth mile walk away, something like that. And it was weird. It was really weird with all these new people. It that feeling of like demonic activity was gone. I had the best feeling ever. It was amazing. The a, a weight was lifted off of me. It was absolutely phenomenal. Like I had, I just made it out, and there was no more of it through that whole week. I slept okay. I slept fine. I I was still worried about my feet from being under my blanket, sure, but I was okay. My buddy Dearman, he was okay. There there was no more paranormal activity the last week. It was over. And we went home and that's when my PTSD star started to arise. <laughs> um I was very, very, very in my mind after that. Um, I didn't speak to my family too much about it for like the first eight months or so, but I would never sleep without light usually, at least some source of light. Um, anytime I was in my room, dark corners would really, really freak me out. My heart rate would go up really fast, really hard, and I would start sweating in my bed. Um, i would pray a lot, read my Bible, all that. And I would have very bad nights every night. I couldn't, even while it's summer or whatever, um, in this hot house, I would not let my feet leave the bottom of my blanket because uh, the fear of being touched or grabbed was there. And I was so scared to maybe just find out that something followed me or something was there. It never happened. It, it it never happened. I never got touched again. I never got like in those situations again where having to wonder if something was a coincidence or something was paranormal. There was no more activity whatsoever, yet I never felt comfortable for about a year. I had nightlights after a certain point, but uh, it was only in the last about four months now. Um, yeah, four months from, from like now, I'd say, um, my dad recommended me to listen to a, a YouTube channel called Alexander Scorby, where it's just, it's just a guy reading the Bible and it helped me every night. This is probably like my 90 to a hundred day streak at this point without missing a night. Cause it's the only thing that's given me peace and comfort while I try to go to sleep. Cause even now. When my phone dies before I'm asleep, if the scripture stops, my heart starts to go up. I can't keep my eyes shut, and I start seeing things in the shadows again. 
And that's basically my whole experience and stories. Well, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, this has been, uh, incredible. I mean, just, just everything. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to, to come here and, and yeah, just kind of tell your story and, and everyone else's experiences. This is, you know, something I don't think anyone would ever think of, you know, at least the general population that's, uh, you know, has no, no ties to the, the military or anything like that. They probably don't hear anything, you know, besides what we see on TV. Um, but yeah, not something that I would have ever really thought about. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense when you think of like things like, oh, old hotel rooms with, you know, people that have died and, you know, suicides, things like that, you know, what, it, what it can leave around the kind of energies. And, but, um, I mean, just really, uh, yeah, I'm still kind of wrapping my brain around around a lot of things you just said, but I guess you know probably right now is the best time to uh, wrap it up. Um, and thank you again for for everything and and for being out here giving us your time again. Uh, is there anything you'd say to anybody that's gone through something similar that you think would uh, uh, just a piece of advice? I like to ask this question to everybody that gets on the show. Well, Jesus helps. I I, I can tell you for sure. Of everyone else that was there, the ones that were atheist or the ones that was pagan, the, the fog, they didn't have peace. They, they did not have peace. A- anyone that clinged to scripture, they always had a better night. But one extra thing as well, it really fucking sucks when you're having experiences like that and you're like, you know, if you try to flee from it, like, you know, leave, you're going to federal prison so having to come back to that stuff every night is fucking sucks. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that sounds like a double-edged sword, you know. But Yeah. All right. Well, I just want to say thanks again for everyone listening and for Vinny's story. Also, guys, if you made it this far, I'm sure you'd love to know where you can find more content. For more spooky podcasts like this and a link to our Discord where you can reach out to be interviewed on the show, please go over to eeriecast.com. And thanks again.